enjoy our time of fellowship. We have a wonderful opportunity tomorrow to continue that fellowship at Rock Cut State Park at the West Lake Shelter, which is between the small bridge and the concession stand off the main road coming from 173. If you're coming from Harlem, then it's between the concession stand and the small bridge. Yes, uh, Miss Vicki uh, is going to be leading our children's experience tonight. So if you have any young people, K through fifth grade, who would like to transition during this time of teaching, uh, we have an experience tailored to them. We also have nursery care available for children younger than that. Of course, children are welcome here throughout the entirety of worship. Children who transition during the children's experience will transition back later in the worship service. Got all that. I was just carrying on a bit, I guess, so I didn't mean to forget about our young people, and I wasn't planning to, but uh, welcome again. Uh, I'm Mark Myers, and I'm the pastor here. We are uh, a little light. Uh, because uh, several of our folks, and uh, including staff members, are on mission trips and on vacation. Uh, so uh, it's just me tonight, uh, which doesn't help my ego or anything. But um, yeah, it is a wonderful opportunity. We did give the band a week off. The 30th of June and the 7th of July are our times that we're going to be at Roscoe United Methodist Church doing some sharing and fundraising. Uh, the band is playing all six of those services in two weeks. So I figured I'll give them one off, and then they add spot six. So that's still five more than they would normally have to do. Um, but uh, I thought maybe just one week off would uh, help that transition a little bit. So we'll be doing something a little bit different tonight after our teaching time. Um, and if you don't like it, that's fine, because we're not going to be doing it any time in the near future again, because uh, we have the band scheduled for the rest of this year. So uh, let's join together in a time of prayer, inviting the Holy Spirit into our time here as we uh, look into Scripture and we continue our series, Former's Footsteps. So let us uh, join together in prayer. Lord, we invite your Holy Spirit into this place now. We ask that you fill each of our hearts with a full measure of your grace, that you allow us, wherever we are in our journey, wherever we are in that forming time, that you allow us to come closer to you, closer to your Son, Jesus Christ, and closer to the community of faith here at New Life and across the world. Once again, we just invite your Holy Spirit into this place, into this time. We ask that you just truly open our hearts to love, to trust, to honor, and to praise you in all that we do. Amen. Tonight we continue our series, Former's Footsteps, looking at a few things. We're looking to see how God forms us, how we are formed as disciples, so what the discipleship process looks like, and then how we make disciples of other people. Jesus encourages us to make disciples of all nations. So the question is, how do we make disciples? Are we disciples ourselves? And what is God doing in that process? So through this series, we're looking at a few things. Fellowship, faith, following, and finally, and the last one is the one that everybody keeps asking, what does that mean? And you'll just have to come back next week to figure out what finally means. But fellowship was the time that we enter into the discipleship process. We enter into the life of the church. Faith is when we take that profession of faith for ourselves, 
uh, that we are uh, blessed um, with faith. And then following is what we're talking about tonight, following Jesus Christ as a disciple. As I said earlier, we're, we're looking at three perspectives. We're looking at God's perspective, our perspective, and how we make disciples. So I want to talk now as we move to see what God is doing in the for, forming process. I want to look at what we've called the order of salvation or the acts of grace. And, and we've already covered two of the four types of grace. We've talked about provenient grace and justifying grace. Tonight we're going to talk about sanctifying grace. Next week we're going to talk about perfecting grace. So those are kind of big theological terms and big theological ideas. So I'm going to try to keep us uh, up, up to where we are right now. So just quickly go over where we are in this process of grace and where we are in this idea of God's grace. So grace is God's loving action and plan to save us. The two, great, two types of grace we've talked about before are provenient and justifying. So I want to just quickly recap what those look like, what those do, how those impact our lives. So here's the story, the story of salvation. God formed the universe out of nothing. God formed humanity in the image of the divine and wanted to have a relationship with humanity, a wonderful and perfect relationship. But humanity, we abused that gift, the gift that God gave us of free will, and separated ourselves from God. We call that sin. Sin is the things that we do that separate ourselves from God. Throughout Scripture, we see God trying to restore the relationship God desired to have with humanity. God did that through covenant. God did that through um, uh, men and women. God did that through prophets and kings. God did that throughout the Old Testament. And finally, and ultimately, through the life, death, resurrection, and ascension of Jesus Christ, grace, God's loving action, came into the world, and now all people have access to salvation or relationship with God. Provenient grace is the grace that's always with us. It's the grace that calls us back into that relationship. It's the grace that convicts our heart, that tells us in our heart that we have fallen short of the grace of God. It's the grace that calls us to repent. It calls us to ask for forgiveness. Now, upon listening to the good news, the gospel of Jesus Christ, and trusting God, we can repent of our sin and receive the gift of faith. Then we confess Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior, and that leads us to justifying grace. Through justifying grace, we, we experience excuse me, regeneration, are cleansed and forgiven of our sins, and made new. So that's the process so far of prevenient grace justifying grace and that should be good enough for any systematic theologian around and if you know what system uh, uh, systematic theology is then you're got some problems i have some i have some great big books about it in my office that you're you're welcome to borrow so now the question is what happens next we we've talked about provenient grace that grace that calls us into the relationship justifying grace the grace that we experience when we're uh, born new when we're converted when we when we have second life when we're born again all that language and now we come to uh, the the what next question some christians believe that once you receive justifying grace once you're saved once you're um, 
born new, once you have new life, that you sin no more and, and, and you never need anything else. For those of us who don't live in a special bubble somewhere and realize that sometimes we do make mistakes and sometimes we do fall short and sometimes we do you know, get frustrated at one another, we have sanctifying grace. And sanctifying grace is the grace that continues with us throughout our life. It is God's action in our life as disciples, as followers of Jesus Christ, that carries with us always. It's the grace that regenerates us, that forgives us when we've sinned, that allows us to repent. It's the grace that helps us grow in love of God and love of neighbor. It's the grace that truly is with us day to day, at home, in our jobs, in our lives, everywhere we go. Sanctifying grace is the grace that continues to nurture us, continues to renew and regenerate us, continues to help us grow. Now, I've shared some pieces of my grace story. I've shared how I experienced God's provenient grace all through my life, that God was calling me to a certain uh, life, the life of uh, an ordained elder, life of a pastor, that uh, God had been working in my life. I shared that when I was 20 years old, that I had an experience of justifying grace, that I was assured of my faith, that I knew that I had salvation, that I had that grace that God had given me. But that wasn't the end of the story. I had still quite a few things to overcome after that experience of justifying grace. I still had a lot of bad habits. I still had a lot of bad tendencies. I still had some unfortunate personality traits. And in fact, right after my conversion, I probably was a bigger jerk than right before because not only did I have all of the old problems that I had, but now I was a little self-righteous on top of everything else. But I had something that I didn't have before. I had God's grace working in my life. So I had the ability to overcome temptation. I had the conviction of when I screwed up to ask for forgiveness, to make amends. I had the desire to grow and to change and to become what God wanted me to live in, in new life. Now I have a college degree and I have a graduate degree. And as part of my vocation... I'm expected to do so many hours of continuing education. I expect for some of you in your professions, I know uh, many major professions, that is expected, that even though you maybe have a degree in education, an apprenticeship or an internship, that you are still expected to learn your vocation throughout your working life because there's always something more that you can learn, always something more that you can do. Now, unfortunately, I hear some people, and not just young people, I hear young and old say, I'm done with learning. I graduated high school. I'm done with learning. I graduated college. I'm done with learning. I I finished my internship. I'm done with education. And I hate to hear that because I think most of us who have invested ourselves in education uh, in whatever way or shape or form know how beneficial it is to us. And it's not just beneficial in our working lives. It's beneficial in our Christian lives we have the opportunity to continue to grow and to grow to perfection. And we're going to talk about perfection next week, and that's a kind of a heavy topic. 
But that's what Jesus calls us to be. Jesus says, be perfect as my heavenly Father is perfect. It's a pretty big call. But that's one of the commands that Jesus leaves us with. So we're going to talk about that next week. Uh, next week. But, but the reality in this week, and the reality of sanctifying grace is, we are constantly able to improve ourselves. We are constantly able to grow as followers of Jesus Christ. We're constantly able to become better than we are. We're constantly, be, uh, constantly being able to be people of new life more and more each day. Now that brings us to our process of discipleship. Hopefully we understand just a little bit about how God is forming us, but we also have a role in the process. Now our process so far has been fellowship. We need to invest in the fellowship of the church. We need to engage in the work of the church. We need to engage in the lives of one another. We, at some point, need to confess our faith. We need to say Jesus Christ is Lord. We need to trust that in our hearts, believe it, and have heart faith in it. But then we become followers. We follow Jesus Christ. Uh, and, and followers of Jesus Christ are disciples. We're using a lot of different lingo, I understand, and trying not to make it any more confusing than it is. But for the first disciples, for the early first 12 dudes back when Jesus was alive, following was kind of easy. Now, it was hard in some respect, but in one respect, it was really easy. Jesus said to these first 12 guys, follow me. And all they had to do was stand up and start walking. Now, realize they literally had to leave their old life you know, Peter was married and, and maybe had children. We don't know. He had a job, all that kind of stuff. He had to leave that to follow Jesus and, and realize that following Jesus for them would, would mean mostly, for at least 10 of them, execution at the hands of the Romans. And so that's kind of heavy stuff, obviously. But the following process was really easy for them to start because all they had to do was stand up and start walking. The following process for us, I think, can be a little harder. It can be a little um, more difficult to understand what we have to do. For me, in my life, it meant leaving behind a relationship. It meant leaving behind a career. It meant leaving behind a life plan, setting all of that aside, and following Christ. For some of you, it may be uh, meant or means a change in vocation a change in family situation, a change in housing situation, a change in city. But I can't sit up here and tell each and every one of you from where I'm standing what that is in your life. But I can give us some help and some process, things that we can do to help the process of growing, to help the process of following. So these are some of the tools. Uh, and, and starting... Um, with these tools, uh, we need to turn to our scripture. And if you have your Bibles with you or your Bible apps out, turn to Matthew 22. We're going to look at uh, verses 34 through 40. This should be familiar if you've been around. If not, this is kind of an important scripture, so underline it. Mark it down. So hear these words from the Gospel of Matthew. 
But when the Pharisees heard that he had silenced the Sadducees, they came together. And one of them, a lawyer, asked him, Jesus, a question to test him. Teacher, he said, which is the greatest commandment in the law? Now Jesus said to him, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. This is the great and first commandment. And the second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments depend all the law and the prophets. Now when Jesus was alive following God, living new life, living God's life, meant following 610 rules. And they're all found in the Old Testament. They're not numbered conveniently, so it's kind of tough. You really have to know, really have to understand them. But in the first five books of the Old Testament, the Torah, there are 610 rules, and two or 300 of them you can't follow anymore because it has to do with stuff that happened in the temple, and the temple's been destroyed for quite a few years, almost 2,000. But at the time Jesus was alive, following God meant following the rules. And the first and greatest rule and this lawyer, who was, was a lawyer of this law, the law of Moses, the law of the Old Testament, he knew in his heart, he came to Jesus already knowing the great and first commandment was the Shema, Hear, O Israel, the Lord your God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with your whole heart and with your whole strength. And he knew that to be true because that's what Scripture had said. But Jesus turned it on its head a little bit and said, yes, the first and greatest commandment is to love God with your whole heart, your whole mind. Jesus added that, and with all your strength. And then he said, the second is like it, love your neighbor and yourself. And then he turned it on its head even further and said, all 610 commandments hinge on these two. If you get these two, all the rest are good. But these two are pretty tough. These two are the two that the people who understood the law and tried to live by the law kept messing up because they weren't doing a very good job of loving God or loving each other. They weren't loving their neighbors. They weren't taking care of those in need. They weren't reaching out to their community. They would become very self-focused and self-centered. And so Jesus was saying, if you want to follow me and you want new life, You need to learn how to love God and love others. So how do we do that? What's the best way that we have to love God and to love one another? Well, the answer, in my opinion, in the opinion of our denomination, combines God's forming work in us and our work as people who follow Jesus Christ. And we call them the means of grace. Now, if you've been here more than once, the word means of grace at least is somewhat familiar to you because we talk about it in communion and we'll talk about it again later. But the founder of the Methodist movement, which we are part of, John Wesley, believed that there were activities that all of us, Christ followers, could participate in where God's grace was present. These were ways of engaging God's grace. Not necessarily forcing God's hand, but these were things God had given us that God said, if you do these things, I will come. This is the field of dreams. Is that that's too old of a reference? 
No, I think that's appropriate for who we got here, right? This is the Fiat Todd, one of our guitarists. He's out in Iowa, so maybe they're visiting him, the quartet, or visiting the Field of Dreams. When I went to school there, that's something that we did. But it's not very exciting. It's just a baseball field in a cornfield. But the idea is that if we're present in those things, God's grace will be present. And we can experience God if we're open to it. And that can be a growing, sustaining, renewing, and regenerating thing in each of our lives. So there are two basic types of means of grace. There are acts of piety and acts of mercy. Acts of piety are things we do to honor and love God. Acts of mercy are things we do to honor and love who? One another, yes. There's only two options. So acts of piety are the means of grace that help us love God. They include but are certainly not limited to, and there's not an inexhaustible list of them anywhere, but I'll just share a few that are are fairly high. Prayer, searching through Scripture, fasting, something we all love here. It's one of our favorite means of grace. And, interestingly enough, healthy living. So exercise is a means of grace. Who knew? Maybe even tofu. I'm not sure on that one, but healthy living honors God, according to John Wesley. So those are things we can do in our own lives. Uh, Those are private acts of piety. But there are several uh, important corporate acts of piety, things that we do that honor God, um, that we do as a community of faith. These would include, but are certainly not limited to, participating in worship, participating in the sacraments of baptism and Holy Communion, participating in Christian conferencing, which includes small groups, fellowship, Bible study, committee meetings. Yes, committee meetings are a part of honoring God. All of these means of grace allows us to experience God's grace, follow Christ, and help our love of God grow. And I believe that I, I can honestly say I've experienced God's grace in each and every one of these things, even not necessarily tofu, but maybe in exercise. Now, acts of mercy are the means of grace that help us love others. They include, but are not limited to, serving the poor, visiting the sick, visiting people in prison. How many have done that this week? Obviously, they need God's grace too. That's a big part of our Methodist tradition. Feeding the hungry and just doing good for other people. Just random acts of kindness. They also include our good use of resources. Recycling and renewing and doing things that honor our environment. Spending less and giving more is an act of mercy. An act that honors one another. I believe if we all spent less and gave more, the world would probably be a little bit better place. As we know, greed and selfishness is fairly rampant in our economic structures. Those are personal acts of mercy. Corporate acts of mercy would include tithing and offering, which we do here in worship. That goes to benefit others. Anything we do as a church that reaches out, that serves our community. We've done prayer walks. We've done 
community service days. We've done work with our schools. Next year, we're talking about, or actually the rest of this year and uh, hopefully by next year, we're talking about a forwarding ministry, a ministry that as an entire church we can do to have an impact in our um, town, in, in our cities here. That would be an act of mercy. All of those are things that we do that help us experience God's grace and help our love of other people grow. Now, we could spend a long time in a whole sermon series on just the means of grace, and we've already focused two of our teaching series on acts of piety because we did a series on Scripture, reading Scripture, and we did a series on learning how to pray. So we've already done those, and if you didn't catch those, you can go back online and, and listen to all of those or go on our podcast and listen to all those. But the point is pretty simple. There's no such thing as a backseat Christian. There's no such thing as a couch Christian or a bench Christian. You cannot participate in following Jesus Christ while sitting back and not doing anything. Once you experience justifying grace, you are automatically called and commissioned into doing the work of God. You are part of God's kingdom at that point, and, and, and you almost have a need to go out and do something. You may not necessarily understand what it is, but I'm just telling you some examples of things that we are called to do. And certainly there are other things that we do. Uh, quite simply, though, following Christ is fairly involved. Following Christ is fairly lifelong. And it sometimes is complicated, but at the end of the day, it's better than the alternative. Because new life in Christ leads to things like hope and joy and peace and, and un, uh, just unquenched and unfathomable love. And when we participate in these acts of piety and these acts of worship and acts of mercy, we can truly experience that. So the means of grace are how uh, what we do to help form us as disciples. How then do we help others become disciples? How do we help form other people? That's the question that we have. How do we make disciples? Certainly, we can involve them in the means of grace, and we'll talk about that in a bit, but the old model for doing that, for making disciples, was to have someone come into the church, make them a member of the church, and then put them on a committee. And I'm not saying that committee work is bad because it's a means of grace. So it can be really good. And I've been part of at least one or two really good committee meetings. No, I, I think most of our, our team meetings are really good here. And even before I served here, we had some really good experiences in traditional committee meetings. But committee work may not be the uh, end-all, be-all of what we need to do when we're trying to make Disciples. We do have to put them to work in a sense, but we need to be careful about how we do this. One of the best things I believe you can do for the disciples in your life is understand what their spiritual gifts are. Now, spiritual gifts are the God-given gifts that you have. You, you were born with some of them. You receive some of them upon um, receiving justifying grace. You continue to receive them throughout your life when you need them. Uh, but we all have gifts that God has given us to use to build up the kingdom of God, to build up the church, 
to make our communities better places and to transform the world. Those are what spiritual gifts are. Now, recognizing them can be difficult, but we have resources. If you go on our website, we have an inventory that you fill out online, and then it sends it to one of us, Jeff or me or somebody. Random person, I don't know, at Google. No, um, it sends us to one of us. I'm just not sure which person it sends it to. And then we can tell you what your spiritual gifts or what we think your spiritual gifts are. But if you can learn to recognize the spiritual gifts in the people that you are discipling, you can understand what they need to do to help grow their faith, to help engage them in faith. Because there's nothing worse than a Christian who's serving in a position and doing the work of the church for something they're not equipped to do or something they don't enjoy doing. Because the work of the church not only should be beneficial to the church, not only should it be beneficial to you, but it should be somewhat fun. You should actually like it. If you are setting up chairs and you don't like it, okay, maybe it's not your ministry. Now, I'm not sure how many of us enjoy cleaning toilets. Sometimes things have to get done, and setting up chairs and cleaning toilets are two of those things. But for the most part, there's generally somebody out there who likes to do the majority of things that we do here as a congregation. And so recognizing what those gifts are and helping people, grabbing people along in the ministry you're already doing and mentoring them in that ministry and cultivating their gifts will help make them disciples. Now, recognizing spiritual gifts of those around you will certainly help discipling them, but in the end, forming is something that is shared. We are all called to be disciples who make disciples. We're all called to be Christ followers who make other Christ followers, which means someone is discipling us. Someone is discipling you, even if you're a disciple. And you should be discipling someone else. The work of the church and the work of discipling is not something we do in isolation. It's something we do in community. It's something we do together. It's a shared work. So we should all be coming disciples, and we should all be making disciples. We do that by attending the means of grace together. We do that by sharing our gifts together. And we do that by living life together. Now tonight we're going to share in a time of communion and a time of commissioning. I hope you experience God's grace in those two means of grace. But this week I want you to engage in the means of grace um, in a real way. So uh, take some of those prayer and scripture study and fasting and exercise and tofu eating and, and visiting the sick and the poor and those in prison and helping do good things. Uh, and just do those things and do them as a community together. Share them with the people in your lives and start noticing the gifts of those around you. Because I truly believe that a church of people who are following Christ and growing together is a church where miracles and transformation occur. Amen. Excuse me. As we transition now to what comes next, we are going to uh, collect our tithes and offerings for tonight. Remember, our tithes are the, the gifts we give to support our congregation, uh, and the offerings are gifts we give above and beyond that. I shared last week how blessed we have been by all of your support 
um, and, and I'm happy to say all the bills are paid and there's like at least a couple bucks in the bank. Uh, we're going to be doing some fundraising at Roscoe. Um, hopefully we pray that there's some folks there who will continue to support our ministry. And then we're going to be doing, um, towards probably the end of the summer and early fall, we're going to be doing our family and friends campaign uh, and trying to raise some money from our family and friends to help support our young ministry, which is uh, just about to turn two years old in July. Um, not two years of worship, but just two years of inception. Uh, and so to um, be a young congregation means that we need to uh, not only support ourselves, which you have all been doing amazingly. Um, when they told me that we had paid all the bills, I was pretty much dumbstruck because uh, I didn't think we were doing that good. But uh, we have been doing that good, and, uh, but we still, we still need to get some extra resources from all those out there. So uh, continue to pray about that and continue to see how you can support and then how you can think about other ways that we can support our congregation in these first years. So we'll take a moment, uh, collect our tithes and offerings before we transition into our time of communion. I thought that tonight, instead of um, sharing uh, our praise and thanksgiving uh, through music, that we would do a couple things. And the first thing we're going to do is uh, share in the Lord's Supper as a congregation. Normally, we do that during our fellowship time. I think from time to time, it's appropriate to do that as a congregation in a more intentional way. And then we're going to have a short, just very brief service of commissioning. Uh, and we'll get to what that means in a little bit. As we approach uh, this sacrament, and a sacrament, as we've uh, discussed many times, is something that Jesus taught us, something that Jesus commanded us to continue to do. So we believe there's two, the Holy Communion and Holy Baptism. And we believe that when we participate in a sacrament, that God is present in it as well. And we'll get to the few things that we um, talk about when we talk about the Lord's Supper and the few beliefs that we have about the Lord's Supper. But I wanted to do something 
uh, that we don't generally have time to that's very important. Um, and I hope you make it part of your life. And if not, I encourage you to start doing that uh, tonight uh, and start doing that today. And that is acts of confession, which are, again, acts of piety and a means of grace. Acts of confession allow us the opportunity to ask God forgiveness for the ways we have messed up, fallen short, sinned, however you want to claim it, and allow us to experience fully forgiveness and regeneration. So I remind you, each and every one of you, that you are welcome to this table. If you freely, honestly repent of all sin, and if you look to be in relationship with Jesus Christ and with one another, maybe not fully understanding what that means, but if you're interested in it, if you're thinking maybe that there's a better way out there, that maybe there's a different kind of life, something we call new life, that maybe it's better than the life you're living, and you're certainly welcome at this table. So I want to start with an act of confession. In the Roman Catholic tradition, before you come to Mass, which is basically an entire communion service every time they meet, every day, but especially on Sunday, before you come to Mass, you would meet with a priest, an ordained clergy of the Roman Church, and you would confess your sins to them, and they would tell you to do certain things to repent of your sins. Now, in the Protestant church, we do not believe that you need to come to me and confess your sins. You certainly may. I'm open to that if you need to confess them to someone else. But you have a direct line through Jesus Christ, through the Holy Spirit, to God in heaven to hear anything that you want to get off your chest, anything that you want to do, anything that you need to say, anything that you feel that is keeping you from God because God does not want anything in the way between your relationship. God does not want any obstacles in the way of your relationship with not only God, but with one another. And sometimes we need to confess the ways that we've hurt each other, not only the ways that we have fallen short in the grace of God. So I want to offer just a moment of silent prayer. And take this moment however you see fit, but I would encourage you to search your heart and ask God for forgiveness in whichever ways you think you need forgiveness, in whatever ways you think you've just fallen short, messed up, not done what God is asking you to do, in whatever ways you've hurt um, the people in your life, whatever ways you've neglected, the stranger, the needy, whatever ways you've created obstacles in relationships, just take a moment now. If you need a simple prayer, it doesn't take many words. The prayer is simply, forgive me of my sin, that I may forgive those who sinned against us. Forgive those who have sinned against me. Let us prayer, pray in a moment of silence now, confessing those sins on our hearts.
I want you to hear some good news. Christ died for us while we were still sinners. And that proves God's love for us. In the name of Jesus Christ, you are forgiven. I encourage you to make confession part of your daily practice. Whenever you need it, wherever you need it. Because the best path to living new life in its full extent is to be free of the sin which chokes us and keeps us down, keeps us below our potential, keeps us below who we should be. Now we come to the table, forgiven and seeking regeneration through these elements, and we come doing a few things and things you know and well. I'm not going to ask you to repeat them, but I will share them once again. When we come to this table, we give thanks. We call that Eucharist. This is a time of thanksgiving. God, who in the beginning was, and that's enough to pretty much blow your mind, created everything. And the God who created uh, millions and billions of galaxies and an ever-expanding universe also created humanity, perhaps one of the smallest things in the universe. And God created humanity with some intention. The intention was to share in a special relationship with each one of us. And so we give thanks to an amazing creator God who not only created everything big, but created everything small and has a desire to be in relationship with small things like you and me. We also believe that when, when we come around this table, it is a time of communion, a time of fellowship, a time when we come together as a community around a common table where relationships can be built, where they can be grown, where they can be transformed and made new, where sins can be forgiven and people can come closer to one another and closer to Christ Jesus. Next, we believe it is a remembrance, and that's why we call it the Lord's Supper, because it remembers the last night of Jesus' life on earth, where he met in a small upper room with his disciples, and they shared together in the Passover meal, the Seder meal, a time when the people of Israel remember God passing over their homes in the tenth plague and saving them so that they could be freed from oppression in Egypt to the promises and the promised land God had awaited for them. And Jesus, realizing that the people had taken that freedom and taken that relationship and not lived out fully its potential, took this special time, this special meal, and changed it forever. He took bread, and he gave it to his disciples, saying, Take, eat. This is my body, which is broken for you. Do this as often as you meet in remembrance of me. After the meal, he took a cup, and it was the sixth cup of the meal, 
Everything is very symbolical in the Seder meal. And he took the sixth cup, which was the cup of the covenant. The cup of the covenant between the relationship of God and the people of Israel. And he turned it on its head and he said, this is the cup of the new covenant. This is my blood, which is poured out for you and for all. For the forgiveness of sins, drink it as often as you meet in remembrance of me. Next, when we come to this table, we experience a representation of the sacrifice Christ made for us. And I'll ask you to repeat after me one line by one line the mystery of our faith that Christ has died. There we go. Christ is risen. And Christ will come again. Next, and as we've already talked about today, it is a means of grace. When you come around this table, you can experience God's loving action in your life. This is an experience of God's love. It can rejuvenate you, renew you, refresh and restore you. It can help you grow. It can change you. It can do great many things if you are open to it. And so we pray this prayer. Lord, pour out your Holy Spirit on all of those gathered here. And on these gifts of bread and wine, make them truly be for us your body, that we may be your body, the church, redeemed by your blood, given for this world. Finally, when we gather around this table, we experience a little eschatology, a little foretaste of things to come. And when we gather around this table, we believe that we are gathering not unlike the table that we will gather around when Christ comes again and we feast at his heavenly banquet. So I remind you, I'm going to ask Tom Hosman to come up here and serve with me. He's uh, filling in for us tonight. Jeff, I remind you that this is the body of Christ broken for you. That you may be the body of Christ for this world. And that this is the blood of Christ poured out for you so you may be forgiven of your sins and be made new. Now we're going to do a couple things, but before I do that, I remind you that we practice open table communion here in the United Methodist Church, which means you are welcome at this table. We use grape juice instead of wine. We have gluten-free elements here that have not touched the gluten-ish elements, because I know that's a big deal. So if you need them, just ask, and we can receive you in that way. We will do communion by intinction because we needed a fancier word for rip and dip. So that's that's what it's called, rip and dip. So I will I will take a piece off of the bread of the loaf. I will hand it to you and that symbolizes that you do not take grace. Grace is given to you. You receive it. 
and then Tom will be holding the cup. You will dip it in the cup. You will not let go. And if you do let go, don't go fishing. <laughs> this is not a fishing expedition. Just get another piece. Try it again. We'll go fishing later. Tomorrow, maybe. So I remind you, and I invite you, that this is a special time, a time that we share as a uh, community. And I would encourage you now, as we enter this time, that we pray a prayer that our Lord Jesus Christ taught us. And just to help, assuming I don't screw it up, um, if there are people here that do not know it, uh, just repeat each line after me. So I will pray the Lord's Prayer line by line, and so I'll pray, uh, I'll say a line, and then you will repeat after me. Do we understand that? Sometimes you have problems following directions. So, no, I'm kidding. I'm kidding. Okay. Now that I said that, I'm going to screw up the Lord's Prayer in retrospect. So let us pray together this prayer that our Lord Jesus Christ taught us, saying, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our sins, as we forgive those who sin against us. And lead us not into temptation. Thank you. But deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. That's why you need helpers. So come as you are called and you feel able. We won't have ushers. Don't need to do anything. There's a nice enough group. Uh, and receive uh, in this time. They'll be playing some music up there so they can.
who has not received who would like to? Let us pray. Eternal God, we have just borne witness to your story. We've just participated in a means of your grace. Work within our hearts now. Help us experience you fully and totally and completely that we may truly be people of new life, followers of Your Son, Jesus Christ, disciples who make disciples for the transformation of this world. Until You come again. Amen. As we conclude today, I remind you that I had to make up some time from couple months ago when I went over like half an hour. No, I'm just kidding. Okay. Tomorrow is our second annual picnic at Rock Cuts. It is a picnic, which means you bring food for your family and stuff for your family to eat upon and drink out of. And if you feel so called, bring extra food to share with the community. That way we will all go home full and ready to sleep, hopefully. I will have some hot dogs and we will have a grill if you want to bring some meat um, to grill up. So uh, feel free to do that. Bring games. It should be, pray for nice weather. It should be okay. We are in the West Lake shelter, uh, so that is time. I remind you that we have form on Wednesday night at 530 if you would like to talk a little bit about the process of following Christ and the process of sanctifying grace a little bit more. And I remind you, mark on your calendars, June 30th, July 7th, we will be at Roscoe, all three services. We need your help greeting and ushering and being there in general, answering questions, all that kind of stuff. So uh, please, if you can come to one or all six of those services, like we're making the band do, uh, feel free that you can come and do that. Uh, I encourage you, if you are able, to stand. Or, or not. I... <laughs> Your sins no longer should weigh you down. And I want to bless us now. If you're uh, next to someone, put a hand on a shoulder or... Uh, just a, a, a gesture of goodwill. I have no idea what that means. And I want to leave us now with just a blessing and a commissioning. And so I remind us, and I ask that you hear the words that Jesus Christ spoke to his early disciples. 
that as you leave this place, the Holy Spirit rests upon you. That the authority of God in heaven rests upon you. And that with all authority in heaven and beyond at your disposal, you truly now, in this time and this place, be commissioned to make disciples of all nations in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. That truly, through your mission work, This community may be changed and our world may be changed life by life. That we not only become a community, but we share throughout this world the message of the new life Christ has in store for each one of us. Amen. Go in peace.